Good morning, everybody. Good to see uh, so many of you, and um, I'm I'm excited for our conversation today. Uh, we're gonna do a couple things, as you can see. I have um, a friend with me, and um, he's somebody that I like most of the time. <laughs> uh, but John and I met. Was that six years ago? Mm. We met. Um, we kind of moved into Evergreen around the same time and uh, I was looking for people to play at Farmhouse Sabbath and uh, somebody had sent me a video of John and said this is our new uh, music teacher and um, it was a video of John playing the song Blackbird, <laughs> a Paul McCartney song yes. and uh, I, I, uh, I have a guitar, I don't know if you could say that I play it but I have one, and I used to think that I was good at the song Blackbird, because uh, my dad had taught it to me when I was in high school. And then I saw John play it, and my first reaction was, I'm never playing guitar again. It's the worst idea. My second reaction was, <laughs> who is this guy? How is he in Evergreen? I need to meet him. And uh, so, so John and I have, uh, would you say we're friends? I would. Okay, I would say so we're friends. we've been friends since then. <laughs> um, so a couple things that I want to do before we get into a conversation um, is I wanted to talk briefly about uh, Pentecost because today is Pentecost Sunday, which means the season of Easter is on its decline and is going out the door, and uh, we conveniently. Uh, began a series on the book of Acts called A Work in Progress, and we began this back in January. And uh, the whole concept of moving from Easter to Pentecost and into the life of the church is what the book of Acts is about. And we were trying to go like, okay, so as we're entering a new season, as so many individuals are entering into their own seasons, uh, we should use this book to inform our lived experience. Um, and part of that, where we got up to, uh, like, Acts 9, and then everything shut down. And so hopefully we'll pick that back up when we return. But that means that we covered Pentecost. And I'm not going to give a teaching on Pentecost right now. Um, we have that audio available. You can listen to it. We take a pretty... Uh, intentional stance on Pentecost. Uh, basically that what's happening at Pentecost is the experience of Mount Sinai is being put on display with those who were, were part of that early church. And the emphasis of that is the existence of Torah. The, the, the meaning of Torah is meant to be embodied by the, the people who called themselves followers of Jesus. And one of the most important things of that being fulfilled, so Shabuot is the word that would be used, is that uh, there will be no poor among you, that everybody will belong together in community. And it's this beautiful picture of like, this is, the, this is a blueprint of what the world is supposed to look like. And so the thing I want to say about Pentecost today is that this dream that God has that is put on display um, in Acts chapter 2 and is supposed to inform how we are today, we need to keep that in mind. 
and all these conversations that are happening and, and the world that we're finding ourselves in, uh, it should be informed by that dream and that vision. And that should still inspire how we do everything that we do. And today, the world's in a little bit of chaos. And there's a whole lot of failure going on. And things are not good. And uh, if you're going like me into nihilism, I think that that is appropriate. But here's, here's my belief. Is that the world's chaos and failures can be met if the church actually manifests what this day is about. If we actually would take Pentecost seriously we could actually meet the problems that are happening. We, we, have, we, have the, the, uh, we have the pattern. We just don't do it. And so we, we need to take that seriously. And, and uh, one thing that's important is you have to remember that before Pentecost is Ascension. So last week was Ascension Sunday. Ascension happens because the, the very work of Messiah has the, the body of Christ in order for this to go to the ends of the earth, it has to take up residence within a larger body. And so Jesus has to ascend, and then Jesus' body takes place within the group, uh, the community of believers, the, the community of followers, so that Messiah's body still gets enacted in the world. And so that happens in Acts chapter 1, and then you get to Acts chapter 2, and it's basically going like, and here's what the body's supposed to look like. It's the fulfillment of Mount Sinai. It's go and follow the way of Torah and make it real to the ends of the earth. We need to take that prerogative and, and make it so that it informs how we engage not only our lives in general, but specifically what's going on, what's going on today. So, um, Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I want to invite you to uh, just sit in a space of reflection. And especially as it's Pentecost Sunday, I felt that it would be appropriate for us to um, reflect on the central thing that we hold, on the kind of church we want to be here. And so I'm just going to read a little bit from what is called uh, the communal prayer, um, the, the communal prayer of belonging, the dance of Koinonia. And uh, again, some of you, some of you are familiar with this, but this is kind of our founding liturgy that we haven't, we haven't done in a while. So I thought it would be appropriate and I'll, I'll just read some parts. Um, and then we'll listen to William Matthew's song. We proclaim that life is a gift, that the divine breath of grace and love has been with us since our first breath. And we proclaim that everyone, including us, can be at the table, for we are sharers of the same gift. To participate in the great retelling of the world, we embrace the journey of selflessness. Our path is one of descent to give up our rights for the sake of our neighbors. We do not seek to be served, but to serve. We do not live and make decisions based on what we want, but what is best for our interdependent well-being with one another. We do not use others as objects for our gain, but we yearn to be in such relationships that nothing can stay the same. We gladly pursue the good of one another. We humbly recognize that we can keep learning, that we can keep pursuing change, and that we can become the only version of ourselves that we need to be. Our movement, our telos, is towards the center of divine fullness. Therefore, we promise to do no harm to resist evil and injustice in whatever forms they present themselves among us, 
and to renounce all forms of brokenness, all measures of unhealth, and all ways that do not reflect the divine. We promise to do all the good we can, to bring peace and wholeness, to make God's dream for the world real in this place. We promise to follow the way of Messiah, to learn of his nature and enact that reality more and more in everything we do. We believe we are unfolding as human beings and building a better world, that our growth will bring forth transformation, that our creativity will bring forth authenticity, and that our roots will make the crucified love of Messiah expose what is possible. And we believe this kind of community begins by being real with each other. In our diversity, pursuing unity. In our difference, pursuing integration. And in our wounds, pursuing healing. We yearn to let our scars tell our story. We embrace darkness so that we can move through it. And we acknowledge that we are better when we work together, for it is the triune dance of self-transcendent love. We desire to be present together. We desire to participate in sacred belonging as neighbors. And we desire to share our lives and gifts. As Adonai has been generous to us, we hope to share that irrational generosity with the world around us. We profess that all creatures, even all of creation, are sacred. And we seek to uphold their life. For the smallest denomination of health is the health of all things together. We do not seek to get our way, but to give ourselves to the flourishing of all. And we believe this happens when we are broken and poured for the healing of the world. We believe a healthy rural place with a reimagined church will put a dent in changing the world. We therefore exist to foster this health in our place through everything we do. That our lives, our relationships, our families, our community, our social systems, our economy, our culture, and our ecosystem will be all it is created to be. That we will tell a different story in this humanity project. And that all things will continue on the holy adventure of being put back together again. May we love ourselves, our neighbors, and the God of the universe with every cell in our being. And may the world never be the same because we belong together in community, in koinonia, such as this. We're gonna get started with uh, with some conversation here, and this one for those of you who are familiar um, with with this, uh, this will be a little bit different than how we normally have conversation and content. Um, but hopefully, you still enjoy. I did want to make a comment that today was supposed to be week two of um, our our conversation on theodicy. So we had started a, a sort of series called A Theodicy for the World, Responding to Suffering, The Book of Lamentations, and Us. And um, so that is on pause, kind of, though what I would say is I think this conversation actually has a lot to do with that. And I... I'm excited because what we're going to find is that, especially when we get into the Book of Lamentations, uh, we are going to be compelled into how we're responding to the world around us right now. Um, so if theodicy is asking the question, um, you know, if God is all-powerful and God is all-good, why is there suffering and evil? We've got some work to do, and then particularly we're trying to find out what's a proper response to he healing suffering and evil that is both both theoretically sound um, and psychologically and practically helpful. So we'll get back into that next week, and I do think that conversation is very, very relevant. And like I had said last week, 
my hope is that if you're a part of the farmhouse, you know how to suffer well. And we could use a little bit of that right now. So uh, I believe you all know that there's some stuff going on in the world. Uh, you know, unless your head is firmly buried in the sand, which I wish mine was, <laughs> but it's not. Um, and so what had happened was yesterday I was scrolling through Facebook, which is an error. Uh, and I, I do intend to repent of that sin. <laughs> um, but I, I'm scrolling through and I'm seeing everything. And I intentionally have a very diverse group of people whom I follow on Facebook. And disappointed is not strong enough of a word. Um, but as I'm doing it, I was just like, I got to call John. I just need to hear um, a real voice right now. And so we started talking and we got to, uh, after a while, like two hours of yeah. talking. Um, it was just like, we, what if we just do this like tomorrow? And, and we just let people in on the conversation with us and uh, we just allow a space for um, your voice to infiltrate our community. And I think it's appropriate because John... Um, you don't have to ask more than um, like two elementary school students to find out that John is beloved in our community. Um, he's also certainly Evergreen's biggest celebrity right now. Been featured on the news a couple times. Uh, he can't not share a video and have it uh, be spread around all over the place. So... Um, you know, I thought it was appropriate. Of John has a very specific lens into our community and into this this uh, national situation. Um, so we need his voice, and we, we all have something that we can learn. So um, I just want to start with how are you feeling? How are you? What's your experience like uh, yeah. this past week? Um, I the word that keeps on coming to my mind is gutted. Hmm. I feel gutted. Um, there's a lot more at stake. There's a lot more that's happening. There's a lot more that people are experiencing than what we can even see. Hmm. Um, I definitely also want to say first just that I really appreciate being here and able to speak something um, that it means it means more than what it what it might seem like on the on the surface what do you mean by that just just having somebody to come in um, particularly uh, particularly a black man like myself to speak on something that is this heavy that is this real that is this visceral mm. um, it means more than just Oh, it's just a person. It's just something that we're doing today or whatever. Yeah. So I very much appreciate it. The there is there's there's so many there's so much honestly there's so much nuance to everything that's happening mm -hmm. that it uh my main my main feeling is is grief. Grief anger 
um, a desire, a commitment to move, move something forward because we as humans, we just can't, we can't be like this. What I don't, something, um, something that I, that I, I will say right, right here, um, that I don't feel is, um, I don't feel that this is any kind of us and them issue. There's not, hmm. that, that should not be the focus. And if that is a focus, I feel like it could possibly be misguided. Okay. Because that's definitely... It's definitely... Present. Yes. At least within the cultural dialogue. Within, within I'm, I'm, I mean, even within uh, civilians and police. Like, that, it, the law enforcement is not... And you have you have a very particular um, experience with that because uh, yeah, like civil workers yeah are a huge part of your family yeah a huge part of yours and Julie's story yeah Um, and so you you're kind of sitting in the middle of a lot of worlds right Mm -hmm. now you you live you 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 live in an urban area that's also. more isolated than most urban areas. Mm-hmm. You work in a rural community, of which you are the only. Uh, well, there's there's maybe three people mm-hmm. of color yeah. who work in, in in the school district. The district, yes. Okay, um, but your brother-in-law is somebody that you and Julie were very close with. Yes. Who who died? Yes. Um, in service. You have members of your family who are in the military. Yeah. You have friends who are police officers, mm-hmm. uh, firefighters. Multiple communities. Yeah. So you, you have a lot of these moving parts around you. So I think it's, it's, it's interesting, and, and I'll be honest, that most of the vitriol that I have seen um, concerning civil workers has been from white people. Yeah. And maybe that's appropriate. I don't know. I, I'm not in on that conversation to know if that's an attempt to be an ally or what's going on there. Um, but I do hear you say, like, can we not take it in that direction? And I'm interested. So if we don't go in that direction, then what direction do we go into with your yeah. commitment to move things forward? Yeah. So it is, it's not uh, that me saying that statement also does not... Uh, negate the fact that accountability needs to be present yeah, because a violently racist um, civilian is extremely intimidating but less so than one that is an authority figure yeah. one whether it's a badge whether it's a title whether it's whatever yeah. um, and that is something that needs to be taken into accountability um, right right consideration um but there are, I just, I can't shake history in my mind knowing that there's, there are the words systemic racism, which you've heard thrown around almost as a buzzword these days. Um, it is something that has been instilled within culture for centuries and centuries and centuries and can be traced back. Um, we're, we're, I was talking, we were talking about, um, the, uh, 
bombing of Black Wall Street in the early night in the early twentieth century. We were talking about um, uh, this. There, oh, there's. It's not. It's not. It's not about pinpointing each and everything because that we could just go on. That's not necessarily there's where we need to. Too be many right examples. Now. Yeah. Um, but even if you if you go back to um, when Western Europe kind of came into power, yeah, which was not always the case. You you, you don't have to be an expert on world history to see how um, ethnicities have been a very divisive thing for most of it. Yeah, um, but specifically how that has unfolded here and how it's. A continued narrative that's led up until this day. So whatever we're experiencing today is not detached from the no. swells of history that have come along. No, and that is something that uh, I do feel there are people who are missing the mark with how they're focusing on this or what they see because we just what see... Do you, what do you mean by that? We just see on the news or wherever you're finding information or whatever, um, the boiling point where stuff is boiling over and exploding. Hmm. But there are so many things that have been happening underneath the surface hmm. for time. For time. So I'm, I'm thinking, even particularly, so if we're, uh, we're thinking about law enforcement, where I have a massive respect for law enforcement. I have a lot of friends that are, that are police officers. And so, um, I, but I'm still, I still think, uh, so the first time, the first time I got pulled over, right, I was a 17-year-old boy. My, my parents told me always just how to act in front of police officers and what I need to do and that what I do and say reflects not only on me and my family name, but reflects on my entire people group. I, went, I grew up in a small town, Norwalk, Ohio, um, about the size of Adrian actually around that around yeah. that so um I got pulled over it was after a late night gig at a roller skating rink because you know that was a do thing do they still have those? They, they did they I know they exist somewhere but okay. this was in particular it was uh it you're was showing this, your age I know I am point. I know I am I, I got grays in my beard it's okay I'm good with it um <laughs> There, uh, it was about 1.30 and I was tired, so my driving, I was most likely swerving and that's why he pulled me over. It totally makes sense. Routine check to make sure that everything's okay. He comes up to the car and you see, he sees a kid in there, right? And so I'm sitting there and he asks me for license and registration. And so I go and I grab my license and registration and when I turn around, the barrel of the gun is pointed at my face as well as the flashlight in, in my face. And so I panic and I drop everything because up until this point I'd never touched a gun in my life and the first time that I'm seeing one really is having the barrel of it pointed in my face. In a heightened situation in a heightened situation. Told, be careful here. Yes. And I had no idea and I understand that this is something of protection because he had no idea what I was reaching for. Um, but that in a way that could also just be justifying. It's always going to be he said, she said. It's always going to be that kind of thing because there's no way of knowing. I don't particularly in my memory think of that man as a belligerently racist human being or anything, but odds are there were stereotypes that he had built up in his mind when he 
analyze the situation and saw who he was dealing with and what was going on and gave him enough caution to reach for his firearm and have it pointed at my face at the ready. Yeah. And, um... And that was your first experience? First experience. I didn't even know that that was not protocol. I thought that was just what happened when you got pulled over. So how does that affect... uh... How you interact with this phrase, systemic racism? As I grew older and kept learning things um, and studying history, realizing that that is an actuality and that was something that I experienced, I am extremely grateful for the fact that had he been um, like one ounce more uh, scared yeah. or, or evil... Um, mm. I would have been one of the stories that you hear, one of the names that that you can think about. Yeah, can you say something about uh, the the video you made this week? Yeah, yeah. Um, I in in response to the murder of George Floyd, I I my my way to process things is through is through creating art in one way or another i need to write or 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 play music or just something that's just how it's been since i was a since i was a kid um and so i wrote a piece that was started off spoken word and it was titled it could have been me just because whenever these tragedies happen I can't help but think about me and my brothers. I can't help but think about my nephews and my son. I yeah. can't help think about my dad. Right. My friends. Like, uh, it just is very, very real. Mm-hmm. Very close to home. Whenever, whenever it happens. So I can't necessarily separate it just as like a news, as like a random news story. Right. Um, right. And so the idea of it is that may we speak with grace and love in these situations to those around, not focusing on the fear-mongering, not focusing on uh, tyrannical oppressors, but focusing on that this is a time that we need to grieve, that we need to mourn, and that there's so much at stake just because we are human and we need to be experiencing this all together. Yeah. That idea of grieving in the midst of it, and I'm interested in... My grief is different than yours, I assume. Because Mm -hmm. I, I hear about these narratives and these stories and these situations, and I look at it from this uh, communal, uh, more sociological lens, because I do not have what's called epistemological privilege with it, mm-hmm. that I have not experienced this thing. Um, I have experienced effects from it, but that's the extent. And so I imagine that our lived experiences in the midst of this is different. So I would say I grieve too. Yeah. And hopefully I grieve in a way that's helpful. And I think there are some lamentations um, uh, protocol there for the necessity of that. But I also find it interesting that that's your first response is that, you know, let's call it, you have to lament in the midst of this thing that has happened. Yeah. 
in line with if things are going to ever be different, we do need to start here. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess that's something that I want to honor is like, so what is that experience like? And where do you see it going? What what does this need to lead to? Yeah, I was you? yeah there because it I do see it as as one one moment or one step um, that grief over over loss and then reactions happen. Mm-hmm. That is why you see looting and rioting. It is that is not something. Uh, extremely methodical it's it's that it's a reaction because you see that there's so many there's so much that needs to be said and so much that has been said on these issues but it has not been heard and by this point many of us have heard the adage from Dr. King uh, spoken about that writing is the language of the unheard. Yeah. Something else that he said within that speech in 1966, an in, in interview, was that the main problem that he sees was the moderate white America and that people are preferring order over stepping through the chaos with their brothers and sisters. Yeah. There's a there's a theory within social movements that there's four responses to social movements. And this is based off of what was saw, uh, seen in uh, the civil rights movement. Is you have the revolutionary, so think Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the separatist, which would be Malcolm X. And you have what's called conciliators, which would be Martin Luther King. And then you have accommodators. And people who are accommodators are ones who go, we, we shouldn't mess with this. It's fine. Yeah. Um, Order is more important here. Um, the conciliators are, can you be in the world but not of the world? Can you exist within this bad society mm-hmm. without being of it? And so therefore try to change it. Yeah. Um, the separatists where we... Y'all keep your thing, we're out, and we're going to go somewhere else. Revolutionaries are, let's blow it up. Um, And it is interesting to think about, okay, so if that's a thing, when you see a post on Facebook, when you see uh, somebody respond in a particular way, it's helpful to go like, where do they fall on that Mm -hmm. spectrum? Because it exists, and that's okay. Um, So I, I think that's... Something that I try to keep in my mind of like, okay, so so when somebody offers this biased evidence for why something should or should not be, where they, oh, they're probably an accommodator. Yeah. And they have reason for not wanting things to get messed up. And if uh, I don't want to completely interrupt, but that is where, that is one thing that I see about if you, if you hear the moniker or the hashtag, all lives matter. That is something that is a societal norm. The reason why that is of that accommodate, accommodator nature, accommodating yeah. nature, yeah. Um, is because that is something that we, everybody believes. Nobody is saying anything about that. It is unfortunately, but intentionally drawing people away and, and uh, to to this idea like 
Yeah, but uh, I have problems too. Yeah, everybody does. This is grieving for something of a specific light, of a specific matter. I fully understand and believe that blue lives matter when, because that's a bumper sticker that you see around and everything. But that is a particular thing. What, saying, bringing light to one situation does not disparage all others. Yeah. Well, and I mean, just take the Black Lives Matter uh, rhetoric and put it into those four categories. Mm-hmm. And you can see how different responses come up within mm-hmm. each one. And, and I think it's just helpful. And this is, this is part of where I think the conversation goes is like, what do you what do you ask of us? As far as I know, everybody who's on right now is white, um, at least from who I can see, right? Um, but when somebody says no, all lives matter, th- that is an accommodator approach. So let's let's not morally value it right now. Let's just say that's what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think placing that in there, it's helpful for people to have more information. Go, oh, I see what's happening yeah. behind the scenes of their mind. It's very helpful. Uh, and you can do that with a lot of the rhetoric that's being used. And that's one thing that honestly frustrates me mm-hmm. is, and we talked a little bit about this, and this is a larger cultural um, uh, lament that I have, is everybody was given a platform to publish whatever they want there yes. was a time where you couldn't do that yeah but you can publish whatever you oh want that's right. real and <laughs> and and uh i compared this to uh how martin luther felt after uh bibles were made available for everyone and eventually he recanted his position was like that was a mistake because so much violence came as a result mm. of people going i'm speaking for god now and so you, uh, Munster, Germany is the greatest example of that. Um, you look up uh, Munster, Germany, um, uh, Jan van Leiden, and there's, yeah. uh, there's some stories, right? We'll 100% and, be doing that. And it's the same with social media. Of like, we tried to do a good thing and give everybody a voice. And we couldn't handle the technology. Because what's happening now is people want to argue for their perspective mm-hmm. and only affirm their bias. So we don't have good dialogue happening yeah. and we have terrible argumentation. Yes. Like the lack of critical thinking that exists on social media <laughs> is atrocious. It's atrocious. Even people mm-hmm. that I agree with personally, mm-hmm. I'll look and go, that is, a t- that is a terrible way to make that point. There's nothing there. That mm-hmm. is logical or coherent or rational. Uh, and, and what's happened now is we just have this wave of, of you know, you say Black Lives Matter. Well, I've got this meme. Mm-hmm. Oh, and look at that. And then somebody, well, mm-hmm. I've got this meme. It's like, none of that's helpful. Yeah. Um, so there's my, I'll step away now. Apologies. <laughs> um, but so let, let's, let's transcend that and yeah. go into, um, you hear this. Of, of people saying like white silence is yeah. a problem and okay so uh, what would you say that yeah. especially you've got this community around you yeah. who loves you and adores you right and whom I love sure yeah but they worship you <laughs> don't even good lord man uh, come on yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, 
So what if you if if you had the platform to be like this is what I'm asking you all to do? Um, so thinking about that, that is where I have seen uh, like like a glimmer of hope. Okay. Honestly, it is um, it's something you can look at it a lot of different ways. Like anything, this this situation is like looking. Uh, like looking at a gem, many-sided, and you see distortions as yeah. you twist it, and you can see for whatever you for whatever you want it to be. But there, uh, so I know some people w- could see it as pandering or trite okay. if somebody says something, and in a way, I could see it then that way as well. And I'm talking about people. You're talking about the. I'm talking about the hot dog. I'm talking about people. Um, hold on, focus. No, 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 you're good, dude. You're good. I'm talking about uh, people speaking out and saying something. Yeah, you can't uh, fully see or know their heart. Hmm. But, but there's so, there is there's so much good even within that. And you're saying that's what gives you hope is you you see that and you go okay yeah yeah. That there are people, even if they would still be misguided, they want to help. They want to do something. They want to say something. They want to be seen as part of the solution. And I feel like that carries more weight than initially it seems like. This is a hope. And I don't want to be naive in this because Mm -hmm. so often something like this happens and then a week later it's just fully gone yeah and there's but for whatever reason there is something that feels a little bit different about this current movement this current situation that we're in so i have two questions about yeah. that is it bad that it takes something of such a immense tragedy for yes. people to even get to the point where it's they're doing that small awful. thing yeah it's awful um and the other part would be that Okay, there is a chance that this is that's a pure emotive and culturally induced yes, response. How do we sustain that? Is there a better way? So yeah, you know, okay, then maybe Moving that's forward. a tick in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But the the challenges, and this is something that we talked about yesterday. Of certainly an immense tragedy such as what happened and has happened several times. Yeah, again and again, right? Um. Like, that's terrible and probably deserves intense response. But if you haven't been noticing these problems leading up to that point, then what what have you been doing? Yeah. You know, and I guess I want to have respect for somebody that goes like, I've seen this and, you know, I can't be the same now. Mm -hmm. Now, I hope that's not just an emotional reaction and you mean that. Mm -hmm. But I also want to go... But but, we've been showing this to you. Yeah, our, our lives should have been a protest. This is Pentecost, right? Yeah. Like you were invited into the protest, and I guess I'm saying this for the people who've taken on the name Christian. Mm-hmm. You were invited into the protest, in into the subversive uh, way of being. Where has it been? And if it if it hasn't described you previously. Make sure that it does from here on out. But it, it kind of, there's a lament just in going like, did it take somebody being maliciously and evilly murdered in the street for mm-hmm. us to consider that? Yeah, it has. 
and it's not the way that it should be. And that's how the civil rights movement really started with the young, the young man Emmett Till. Yeah. Brutally kidnapped, murdered, drugged behind a pickup truck yeah. till he's mutilated, thrown into the river, found days later. Mm-hmm. And Open the, casket funeral. Yeah. Intentional. And, and it took for it some took. people that... And, and Martin Luther King used this strategy of going, we're going to have to publicly suffer and we want, we want journalists there because that's yeah. the only way... I mean, this is Uncle Tom's cabin, yeah. right? Like, there is something about we have to expose people to the problem. Yeah. But... but it shouldn't be. Like it shouldn't be. Um, as this is as this is happening, and people are are forced to have these conversations, it will be harder to have these things shoved under the rug. Good. Point. I feel like within the microcosms of community, all these little the little family gatherings where uh, uh, your your uncle says something. That you just know is super racist, as that it's said as a joke or something, yeah. just to get a cheap laugh. Like, don't let that happen. Yeah. In no way is that just okay about whatever race, about whatever people group, about about. Uh, so, I, I this 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 kind of stuff makes me think about women a lot. Oh yeah yeah that's that is an interesting comparison because women know what it, it's like to like walk into like so walk into like an, like a good old boys club or something like that right and people are sitting there and the, at the bar you walk in and then you f- you feel the cold you feel the ice you feel the the feeling that you don't belong there and nobody says anything nobody is overt it's not something that you can weigh on any kind of scale but you know it's there Mm-hmm. It well, is, yeah. One of the things that we talk about with like systemic racism is because people argue of whether or not that's a thing. Um, yeah. Now I, I would approach it just even academically from a, a sociological perspective to go. Certainly, there are embedded norms and patterns in macro culture that exist, mm-hmm. uh, but. Like you do have a certain fear that resides and follows you around, and you know that uh, that also happens. Um, that also happens for women, where yeah. they they have this fear. Like I, we've talked about this with Vanessa, where like there's a fear that when she's in certain places, like is something going to happen to me? Yeah, I don't have that fear. Yeah, maybe I should. <laughs> Uh, and and that's something to bring up too is like that you you've probably met racists out here. Yes. Okay. I I know people who live in my community, and they're racist. Yeah. And they might not even disagree with me saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if I can say one little thing. Yeah. I did once have an interaction with a with a. Oh no. You good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, with no, the, I'm anticipating oh, where the story's going. And it's going, not oh, anything. No. It's not anything okay. crazy. Yeah, uh, but it is something that is not okay. A lovely student, whom, just a boy who we goof around and talk about stuff, and it's it's fun, 
interacting with him. Yeah. He said to me once, my parents say that all black people are mean, but I know that it's not true because I know you. Yeah. Yeah. And I can distinctly remember meeting his parents, talking to them in conferences or just seeing them at different events and yeah. you would never know. And there's one part of that that's like, and we've had this conversation before of you have forced a whole generation of people who live in Evergreen to reconsider <laughs> potential stereotypes that have been handed down to them. Mm. And it's like, that's awesome. At the same time, that comes at your expense because you have to hear that and know that there was a conversation that happened at one point that infected this child yeah. and how he interacts with you. Yeah. And it's beautiful to watch him go like, Maybe that is wrong. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that tells you that there's something in the water yeah. around here, right? Um, now, but though there's a difference between being racist. You can be racist and not be physically violent. Now, yes. I think by being racist, you're violent, just in the general definition of violence. Yes. Uh, but you don't necessarily have to be physically violent. Mm -hmm. And so not only is racism a problem, but so is evil. Yeah. And like what happened to George Floyd, you're not just seeing racism there. You're seeing something evil happen. Yeah. And that has to be part of the conversation too, in, in terms of like, you experience these things and you have this fear, but there's a difference between, and I'm not trying to diminish, yeah. but being disenfranchised, insulted, inconvenienced, made to live in fear because of uh, your ethnicity mm -hmm. and being um, physically violated. Yeah. Those, those two things exist in the same, uh, uh, really close on the spectrum. But the physical one also requires a, a, a good bit of evil. And what we had talked about was like, unfortunately for you and unfortunately for women, you, the person walking down the street doesn't have written on them like, be careful, I'm one of the evil ones. <laughs> yeah. you know? And so you constantly have to wonder. So the, the police officer who pulled you over when you were in high school, yeah. you don't know. Um, you have to sit there and wonder. Is this, is this going to also include evil? Mm -hmm. Like, let's, I'll assume that there's something racist here. Maybe there's not, mm -hmm. but maybe, okay. So you're assuming that you're, you're, you're swimming in that water, but now you have to wonder about this other part that will maliciously end your life. Yeah. That's something I don't have to worry about. Um, generally. Yeah. Now at the same time, there's that conversation on evil has to continue because evil doesn't always have anything to do with racism. True. You know, and, and I mean, we've seen that out here. Mm -hmm. We saw that. Yes. Uh, with Sierra yes. John, that there evil things happen. Pair that with racism and, and it's a dangerous cocktail. Okay. So w one of the questions that, um, I want to get to is like, what does the evergreen community need to do to be different? Yeah. But let's keep it at the, like, what do you ask of those of us who are white? Yeah. Um, so, like, like I mentioned earlier with Dr. King's quote about yeah. rioting being the voice of the unheard, the language of the unheard, the language hmm. of the unheard. Um, something that does honestly speak volumes is being heard um 
that these things would not just be dismissed or blanket statements thrown over. Like we all know. Oh, give an example. Um, so I I saw something recently that just said to to those to those rioting in Minnesota, y'all are morons, hmm. and that was that was it. Yeah, that's missing a whole a whole lot of the story, a whole lot of the narrative, the whole lot of everything, hmm. and it's focusing on what is happening at that moment just one thing nobody would in 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 a good in in a in a calm frame of mind would say that rioting and looting this is the highest good hmm. no i that's not it's a reaction it's not methodical it's not thought through it's just ah, an explosion yeah, yeah. Which I think's like yeah. powerful for you to say to be like nobody's saying that rioting, looting, like should become written in stone as yeah. the norm, as the protocol. But yeah. you're just going like step back. What are the larger sociological effects that are causing this to happen? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, what leads okay, to this at, point? At least we can comprehend its existence. I would say so. I would I would say we just. We just, as human people, need to realize that there are steps that are unseen. I've, I've lived in um, Buffalo, New York for a number of years, uh, family in North Carolina, family in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of places where, uh, where I'm in smaller communities and larger cities, and there's a lot of things that happen that never reach the national stage. Mm-hmm. A lot of things stay within smaller communities. It just so happens that certain things get out there because the right person had the phone and the whole idea of things going viral, that whole idea, that just happens. Yeah. So there's so many things that happen that we don't see. Lives lost, unfair treatment, Mm -hmm. darkness, and then the explosion happens. We can't just say, we cannot, it is defeating for people to just say, oh, well, those are idiots. Those are thugs. Mm. Awful. Awful thing to say, to have that be the direction that you go with in thought process. Yeah, to, for that to be the blanket statement. That, the, the, blanket defining, statement. the defining rhetoric for it. Within every facet, there will be those who are destructive, those who are builders, those who can, who are making something beautiful. You're focusing on one, right? Which is, and it's usually a small portion of the people as well that would be yeah. causing the ruckus. But this is even literally true about Minneapolis. Yeah, is there was literally true, and that's where you're kind of going. Like, there's so many nuances and pieces and factors going in and any anyone who tries to offer a statement especially on social media mm-hmm. that's going to try to capture the whole thing is going to miss something yeah and that's where i kind of want to be like so just stop you know <laughs> just stop just, yeah. just stop because it, it, Can we just it's similar to like uh an <sighs> investigation or, or or you know i would compare it to like looking at monumental events in history Mm-hmm. And it's complicated. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on, and there's so many pieces, and we're not going to see it all. Yeah. So th- that can be kind of defeatist. Okay. So then, what do we do? Yeah. You you start where you are. 
with the next right thing. Start where you are mm-hmm. with the next right thing. Yeah, I, I think I think that's important. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've just seen that so much on both sides. Yeah, right? on both sides. One hundred percent. Where it's like you you're you're not working with all the information here. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would even be fine if it if and in that you acknowledged that you're not. Yeah. But don't pretend like you are. Yeah. And that's because it's not helpful. And, and I'm serious. Like that's that's both sides of of the thing. And really, where I'm where I look at this, and I'd like to say that the whole idea of um, sociological injustice and uh, forms of oppression and racism um, and just unhealth, right? Mm-hmm. That we talk about this all the time. So I, I kind of want to say, like, if somebody came to me and was like, Tyler, we're looking for your uh, your opinion on this. I would, I hope that I could just say, like, it's all been recorded yeah. on Sundays for <laughs> however long. Yeah. Uh, you, you shouldn't have to ask. Yeah. Like, and, and our character as a community should speak for itself. Mm. I hope that's true. And it yeah. might not be. And even if it's partially true, definitely it can continue to improve. Yeah. But... We can, this is something that gets brought up with like equality and justice. Yeah. Is I can't fix it. Yeah. So how big of, how, how, how extended can my arm go Mm -hmm. here? And I I think it's important to, so there's in, in the conversation of ethics, right? Yeah. There's something, there's something called the ethics of risk and the ethics of risk says that to have big, lengthy visions, what's called teleology, for uh, what the world should be like, it might be helpful, but it can also make you really defeated because that's probably not going to happen. And so then it's like, well, if that's the only option and we can't do it, so I might as well not do anything. Yeah. And the ethics of risk pushes people to go, but what is the like really small thing that yeah. might still be improbable, but that you could have yes. at least a little bit of control over? And so I go like, okay, so as a community, what can we do? And the, the question that I go to is like, so how do we prevent that here? Yeah. I can't prevent that in New York City. I can't mm-hmm. prevent that in, in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. God be with the people who that's their place. And there's a lot of work to be done. And we can be in solidarity with them. But we're not going to fix all of this right now. Yeah. We have to start with where we are. Yeah. Um, so how, what does it look like to prevent doing, something like that here? Uh, honestly how you said doing the next right thing in your sphere of influence wherever you are there's there is unfortunately no big fix no quick fix no nothing that's just going to make everything right but through conversation even like the example that i gave earlier about a racist uncle making a joke Mm-hmm. something that small to something as big as engaging in a com- in an intentional conversation with family or friends about these things are not right we need to make sure that we stay vigilant at all times mm-hmm. at all times and that's that's something that also is challenging it's difficult because it's tiring 
I've had so many conversations within the past few days that are draining mm. mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but are important. So many conversations. And it hasn't been blasting things on social media or anything like that. It's been phone calls. It's been um, emails, letters, like physically written letters, because that shows intention. Yeah. Checking in on people, feeling the pulse, knowing where it is. So it doesn't seem like you're moving mountains, but I feel like if, if think about what it would be like if, if everybody, everybody on the screen here was affecting people in their sphere of influence, just how things would grow. Mm -hmm. That will do so much more, so much more, I would even believe, so much more than even a, than even a vote not to diminish what political leaders and, vo and voting does, but doing what we can all do within our own spheres of influence makes so much more of a difference. And it, and it, it there, it's, not, it's not like a, like a financial thing that I'm seeing a need for. It's not a, uh, uh, like, like, don't need to throw a concert together or something um, because those are, you know, like the concert thing. Like, so you do a, a concert or something and it's for this particular awareness, but then that's, that's going for like the emotional response and all these things. I think that what has more movement is just us being human. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a danger if something like this becomes a fad. Yeah. Um, you, yes. you, you've destined it to fail. Yes, um, true. And there's even room to say that any state power structure wants it to become a fad yeah. because it is much easier to control. Um, but this is, you know, Martin Luther King. So I had the opportunity to study a lot about Martin Luther King, right? And Everybody likes to talk about the I have a dream speech, mm -hmm. not realizing that that was early. Mm -hmm. And he had lots of speeches after. Lots of speeches. That are very controversial. Yep. Yes. But yes. Um, what you had just said is one of the very points he makes in a speech titled uh, Eulogy for Martyred Children. And uh, I would encourage folks like, go, go read that speech because he, at, up until that point, he was trying to change policy, right? Large structural change after uh four children mm -hmm. were bombed yeah. and killed and he's giving the eulogy he says basically basically says i'm done with policy yeah. policy ain't going to change anything anymore we've got to do something different mlk says this mm -hmm. in the midst like a transitional moment in the civil rights movement mm -hmm. and uh that that speech should probably be talked about today um because we have all the legislation mm -hmm. like it's illegal what happened yeah we've got the legislation that doesn't keep it from happening yeah um the equality of people it's it's normal on paper mm -hmm. but it's not happening yeah right and and so i think that's a very martin luther king-like thing is to nope we actually have to change the infrastructure of our lives not yeah. just our state yeah but that's hard work. That is hard work. And it will not ease up. Because when the easing up happens is the yeah. reason why we're here. 
400, so I even think of the United States, 400 years. So like, uh, I honestly think it was around 1618 or 1619, like if you're actually going to the date. Yeah. And so we're in 2020, so 400 years of one type of thinking. And then that didn't even happen until the 1960s. Yeah. So that's a lot of trash to me. Clean up. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a, and it's a lot of buildup, and you have to understand how change works sociologically to realize that that's going to be difficult. Um, but you do, you do then go because that can get nihilistic real quick. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what to do then. Yeah. And it's like, okay, hear that, hear, hear that big monumental task. Yeah. But then go. It's the stereotype of like you know, climb the mountain one step at a time, yeah. eat the elephant one by the time. That's fine, but let's take it further. Um, because what Martin Luther King is doing is going, we need to create a culture where policy isn't necessary anymore. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that we have to mm -hmm. write legislation for yeah. this is a problem. But, and, and Wendell Berry, mm -hmm. um, for the people at the farmhouse, you can go ahead and laugh because I bring up Wendell Berry all the time. But Wendell Berry has an article on racism in America that is a really strong alternative to the conversations we hear. And I, and I, would, I would say that's worth reading yeah. for anyone. Um, and that has greatly impacted how I consider the process. But he, he goes into this whole thing of like, this is a large problem made up of individuals. Your arm's length can only go your arm's length. Uh, things will change by people making decisions differently in their private life. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to, to depend on policy and uh, cultural voices to shift everything, it won't actually happen. We need small people doing the right thing where they are yeah. in their small places. Yes. And if his point is, if you did that, you wouldn't need the policy. And that's the same thing Martin Luther King's saying in, in eulogy for, for modern children is we shouldn't need policy and I'm done trying to pursue policy. We got to figure out a different way to change it. And by yeah. the way, when he started that rhetoric, now he gets killed. Yes. He doesn't yep. get killed for I have a drink. Yeah. Everybody's cool with that. That's, mm -hmm. that's cute, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as he started saying this other things, now that's problematic. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a, uh, a church challenge of yeah. like, no, there's expectations here. Mm. That's not okay. And so like what you're saying about like, the interaction with the racist uncle, et cetera. Yes. The church has answers to these problems. Yeah. We've got them. Yeah. We don't use them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think for churches, there's, there's a, a big thing that was out. Like, if you don't talk about this problem this Sunday at your churches, then you're part of the problem. Mm. And I just, I guess I look at that as a white pastor, you yeah. know, if you haven't been talking about it, <laughs> you're part of the problem. Yeah. And if you don't continue to actually provide ethical groundwork yeah. for a different way of continue. being, movement, yes, then you're part of the problem. Yes, you know the. So that's that's like some of the things that I'm trying to process is. So how do we keep? How do we make that space? How do we communicate those expectations? I mean, I don't think that you've ever felt uncomfortable at the farmhouse. No. You've been coming around playing gigs for a while. Yeah. Um, you're, you're at a lot of the stuff we do. Um, but 
it certainly could be better. Hmm. Um, you, do you know June Price? Mm -hmm. Okay, so June Price came out once. And so I think some of you were here when she did. And she talked about how, like, as soon as I crossed Centennial Road, I got scared. Yeah. Because I've never been out here. Um, she was from Swanton. Like, mm -hmm. she had interaction with Swanton. And so she's going, like, I don't know this community as well, but if there's anything like Swanton, I'm scared for my life. And she meant it. Yeah. And she's saying that to us when she gets here. And by the end, it took a, a certain empowerment of her voice. Um, it took a certain, like, hey, we're all listening to you. And you can tell us what we need to do to make you feel comfortable right now. And by the end of it, she was like, I felt, I feel like I can trust this group, even if I can't trust this whole community. Yeah. I feel like I can trust this group. And that's so, real. Yeah. That's a, that's a good thing. Why are not all churches going, that's gotta be normal here. Why? I'm not expecting you to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, yeah. It, 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 because it is one of, one of those problems that pervades our culture. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, I would say it would be the same for uh, a white person to go through to like some of, the, some of the churches that I've been a part of and would feel out of place yeah. and feel honestly scared. Mm -hmm. And it should not should not be a thing. Can I ask? Oh, yeah. Well, um, I'm just thinking, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of that division that honestly does exist and it's unfortunate. And every, in every place that me and my wife have lived, there's been multiple moments that we've been spat at through windows, people driving by, she's been called honky, uh, you know, different people saying things that would be threatening from white people as well as black people as well, just like human beings. And so that feeling that you were, that you were saying with June Price, like I, I feel that every time I'm driving somewhere and I have to go to a gas station in a small town and it's not some, it's something that I joke with Julie about. Julie's my wife. Um, it's something that I, that I joke with her about, but there is realness to it. There is realness yeah. to it. And that's not, not for me. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you could say like, well, do you get scared driving downtown Toledo? Not really. No. I, I don't, I can, I can imagine that there are some white people who do. Yeah. And part of it is like, I went to central. Yeah. A lot of my best friends at central lived in what we would call the hood. Mm -hmm. And I grew to, uh, appreciate it on one hand but also go like here's yeah. what it is yeah um and there's also the reality of like you know that an e act of evil can happen anywhere mm -hmm. uh, so stop pretending that stop it's only pretending. in certain communities stop pretending. um but my question is the way i wrestle with this like how do you prevent this kind of thing from happening so i think that a lot of racism actually is economic in its origin. Yeah. Um, that people, we don't like certain kinds of work mm -hmm. and there's a drive and power to be superior to not only other people, but the earth. Yeah. 
And so we have to find people to make inferior so that we don't have to be inferior or feel yeah. inferior ourselves. I think there's that drive behind it. And there's, there's some explanations about that from um, the, the move to cities and industrialization and factories and how that all kind of plays together. Again, the Wendell Berry article uh, plays out some of this well. But one of, one of the things that I've noticed is as long as people are strangers, yeah. it is very easy to only work with cultural notions of how to interact with them. When, and I'm wondering if this is what your experience has been like here, is when strangers are given faces, it's much more difficult to enact racism, yeah. but especially evil. Yeah on them and you know i think this is also true for women i'm always going to assume that a woman around me is going to be fearful mm -hmm. um it's my job to live in a way and interact with her in a way where she can trust me yeah that i we're actually in this together yeah always vigilant always aware conscious working on that yeah and it's yeah um and and i think that's part of like my whiteness is i can only be responsible for me mm -hmm. uh, but if i can make you trust me and like and that requires vulnerability on my end to use my power to empower you mm -hmm. to go i have no expectations about how you interact with me but I want you to know that you're safe here. And it might take a thousand times of me saying that and showing you that before you go, I think I might actually feel safe. It might yeah. only take once. I don't know. Yeah. But I think the, the, the strangerness between people mm -hmm. makes it more likely for you to dehumanize them. And so I, I guess I'm like looking for an ethic here. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out what the heck do I do? Yeah. But I think part of it on my end, it seems to be, I need to be aware of dehumanization on my end. Yeah. But then I also have to be aware of, do I have responsibility and loyalty and affection and knowledge uh, and support with you mm -hmm. and with that neighbor and with that neighbor and with that neighbor um, and, and, like kindness coming from the word kin mm -hmm. of a kind are we of the same kind or are we allowing ourselves to stay separate and then you know you still get people who are are separated but trying to do the right thing for each other it's like no 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 mm -hmm. no no that won't last it's fragile yeah, yeah. we have we have to see ourselves Woven connected in. interdependent in. mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. you guys got a good one keep him <laughs> That's legitimately it, man. Okay. In a real way. That, then, that, like, then that has to become the conversation. In a real way. Okay. Those, the points of just knowing that it's not easy, it's not a quick fix, that it's like, it might take one time, it might take a thousand times. You don't time. know. We just don't know. Yeah. Um, and that's something I'm, I, I am conscious of as well. It, in thinking about interactions with women because of what is just systemic society, like what, what has happened, what has been built in. Mm -hmm. And it's not a thing of, well, that's not fair because, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just, no, it's not, a, it's not about that. It's not about me. 
It's about how we can exist as humans in the best way possible. And I would, you have to have knowledge. Then. Yeah. But your, your knowledge is only available to a certain scale. So being vulnerable but, and, it not, and it's not always comfortable. But I would say particularly if you don't have fear, yeah. then you be vulnerable first. Yeah. And do not expect anybody else to owe you anything. Yeah. Okay. So we just articulated the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, that's, yeah. That's what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. For real. But give up your rights. Yeah. You, not them. Yeah. You give up your rights. That's how this works here. Uh, but also, you can't know everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and so instead of trying to take a blanket statement for anti-racism, which is fine. That's mm-hmm. great rhetoric. But that has to manifest itself in a specific time and place that you have power over. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm, I'm speaking to people like me here, not mm-hmm. you. <laughs> uh, so that, but that, that knowledge part is, is important because I have to know you and you have to know me. And you yeah. have to know that, oh, we're on the same team. So instead of me going like, I'm not going to treat you poorly because, you know, I think racism is bad. It's, uh, I'm dependent on you in order for this to work mm-hmm. and survive. Uh, so we, we better figure it out. Yeah. Because here we are. Yeah. You know, what if we interacted with race and gender issues more like a marriage yeah. uh, than some abstract thing? Yeah. It's like, so let's pretend that us and all the people here, uh, let, let's respond to each other the same way a healthy marriage. Yeah. Which is like, we're in this together. Conversation. Conversation. Open ears. But that's commitment too. Yes. Right, like, am I committed to you? Yes, like, that is crucial. That is crucial. Yeah. If, if, so let's, let's be hypothetical and go the cop who killed George Floyd. Yeah. What if he had previous knowledge with, because here's what I'm guessing to say was, but he had black friends. He's not a racist. Okay, but not that one. Not George Floyd. Yeah. What if he was? Would he have done it? Mm Mm-hmm. Or does knowledge actually keep that potential evil and commitment and mm. responsibility and interdependence keep that from being a possibility? Mm-hmm. And I think it's fair to say that will never completely happen. Yeah. And we got to be aware of that. Got to be aware of it. Um, but does not give us an excuse to set it aside and move forward. No, no. If your options are like be racist and evil, or take time to know the people around you yeah. and care about them like you care about yourself. Yeah. I'll choose the, the latter. <laughs> yeah. Um, but especially in a rural community, like that's actually possible here. Yeah. You can know all of your neighbors. Yeah. If you really wanted to, you could. Yeah. It, it's, it's a beautiful scale. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, 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 it sounds like, okay, so that's the thing that has to happen is we better know each other and we better care for each other. Yep. Sounds simple, but it, there's so much. It's it's very profound within that. Um, we're getting to the point where we're usually about to close off. Yeah. So, yeah. what are some final thoughts from you? Things that you want to communicate to the people listening now, yeah, or to anybody who listens to this later. Just remember and stay conscious of the fact that we need to all work at this together, work at being human together. 
hearing your neighbor talking, having conversation, being vulnerable. That's, that is, that is so incredibly huge. And to not think of it as, oh, but it's just a small thing. Think of it as a driving force that we are called to know each other and to be together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, real practically for engaging with some of the dialogue and rhetoric on social media, especially yeah. in Toledo, is there anything that you would request of us? Um. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Because I'm, I'm thinking, like, my first thought is just stay off social media. <laughs> Don't say things. <laughs> and that just goes for because it well in a real way though not in a not in a silly way most things that that we would necessarily want to say as a as a big as a big dissertation or something would not necessarily change someone's mind or or do something that would build up like i've never been driving and seen something on a billboard and like you know what I do wanna, I do wanna call that bank right now. Like that's legitimately not a thing. So well this is interesting because like I I've yet to meet somebody that would, <laughs> like they had some powerful opinion. And I was like, where did you form that? <laughs> Social media. I, this person argued with me online and it changed my world. But the real thing is that uh, there's there's a communication theory that media doesn't tell you what to think, it tells you what to think about. Yeah. So we're not getting persuaded by yeah. media necessarily, but it is shaping the yeah. the environment of our minds. And so I understand it, uh, like even physiologically, when you when you see when you post something on Facebook and you get likes and comments, there's dopamine stuff that goes up, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I like it, I like it. And so like it's actually a thing that we want to do. I honestly, even in posting the video that I that I had, I was struggling with going. I went back and forth on if I should do this or not because I don't want to add noise. I wanted to put something out that could possibly build. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I know for some of you, you're used to um, ha having space for more conversation than just listening um but I, I think it's appropriate today we're, we're not gonna open that up um and i'm certain there is more hopefully all we did was begin a conversation and that the conversation will continue um but i would encourage you uh to think about some of these things i'm sure that john is open to um in engaging with ideas uh, and, and stuff that you might want to talk about. But I do appreciate you all uh, sticking in here and listening. I hope that you glean something. Um, and I hope that I hope that we all are able to walk away. We got a little bit better of an idea of how do we actually grasp the thing that is that is before us. Um, I feel better. I feel uh, better, yeah. I, I think I have more hope because uh, that I was I was getting ready to start a hashtag cancel humanity um, and just start getting that around because I'm just feeling so hope so I, I have more hope which isn't saying much because it was about as low as it goes. Um, <laughs> Got to start somewhere. 
So thank you all. Thank you all. John, thank you. Uh, I'm really glad that you came. Um, I, Me too. This, this, was, this was really good, and I'm sure people are just excited that I didn't talk as much. You know? <laughs> okay, well, so next week, uh, next week we will get into theodicy even more. And I, I am going to emphasize probably from here on out with the Odyssey is like, we do actually need to figure out how we formulate these things because it impacts stuff badly. And I'd say that everything we just talked about, that's in the book of Lamentations, every single part of it. It's right there. Um, so we have a lot to learn. We have a lot to continue the conversation. And any of you who are listening to this now, I give you, um, I give you permission and responsibility that if I, as a leader of this community, fail to do any of the things that were just discussed, you have the right and the responsibility to call me out on it. Uh, that, that from here on out is not acceptable. So I guess that's the biggest thing I can commit to is that I'm not going to let this conversation end. And I also imagine that it won't be over by the time I die. So we got a lot of, we got a whole world to rebuild and we can be a part of that. Amen. Grace and peace be with all of you. We will talk to you soon.